I'm Matthew McCabe. Welcome to Miracle Voices. Each episode, we will be delving into stories of forgiveness, healing, and transformation that have come about from integrating the principles of the book, A Course in Miracles. If you want to learn more about A Course in Miracles, visit www.acim.org. If you'd like to visit the Miracle Voices site, please go to www.miraclevoices.org. If you feel inspired to make a love offering, please visit us at miraclevoices.org forward slash donate. All donations go to support the work of the Foundation for Inner Peace, the publisher of A Course in Miracles. Now here's your program. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of Miracle Voices. This is your co-host, Matthew McCabe. I'm here with my co-host, Tam Morgan. Tam, how are you doing this morning? Starting to do. I was being, and now I'm doing. Yeah. It's early for me. Let's see if we can get you back to doing or being. <laughs> Thank being. you. Good. And and our guest today is Celeste Demilla. Celeste, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here with you guys. Same with us. Yes. And Celeste, where are you sitting today? Where are you in the world? I am in a little town called Laguna Niguel in Orange County, California. Oh, great. And you probably have wonderful weather there as always. It's Probably all year it's wonderful weather. Oh, it's raining. No. <laughs> it's been a lot of rain. As Tam knows, she's in California. We've had a lot of rain this year. Yeah. Yeah. Drought, yeah. drought, drought, rain. That's uh-huh. yeah. Matt, yeah. see what your expectations and projections do. Yeah. That's ah. true. Yeah. <laughs> well, the nice thing is it sets up surprises. And if you're like someone who likes surprises, then you can deal with expectations. Yeah. Celeste. So well, thanks so much for coming on. Please, let's get started by just telling us how A Course in Miracles came into your life. Yeah, I'd be happy to. And it's kind of a long story. So if I'm going on too long, you guys, please just let me know I'm going on too long. That's okay, but, uh, Matt. We'll edit you out. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> so my very first exposure to the course was when I was 10. And I'm now 56. So that was probably very soon after the course was published. And my family was visiting some friends of my parents, and they had the Course of Miracles on their coffee table. And I was drawn to it. I was like, what is this? And I was really curious about it. And I just felt like it was something very important. But I was 10. So obviously, I didn't follow up on it at that point. But just the fact that I remember that just to me is is kind of fascinating. So then it was decades after that before the course really came back into my awareness. And um, I'm a psychotherapist, and I really got interested in positive psychology in my 40s. And so I started uh, reading books about it, and I took a certification course in it. And positive psychology is is different from traditional psychology in a lot of ways. And I won't go into that because that'll take too long, but I will just share one difference. And that is that traditional psychology typically does not go into spirituality and religion. When I was in graduate school, they basically told us, you know, we don't really go there. That's for churches and synagogues. And, you know, so, but positive psychology, on the other hand, it embraces spirituality as an important part of being human. And it even sees spirituality as one of the things that we really need for our um, well-being and happiness. So that's probably why when I started getting into positive psychology, I started running across quotes from The Course in Miracles in different books that I was reading. And I even met someone who's a course student in the certification program that I went into. And I just remember just, again, being intrigued. I'm like, oh, what is this Course in Miracles? Oh, I love these quotes. and But it wasn't intriguing enough for me to get the book at that time. But then fast forward, another few years to my very early 50s. And I started having intense insomnia and anxiety. And I am someone who has been an anxious person all of my life. I've had a lot of issues with anxiety and I've had insomnia off and on all of my life. But this was different than anything I had ever experienced for. It was really crazy intense. So 
I would go days, three, four days with literally no sleep. My life was very challenging. And after about 10 months, the meditation teacher that I was seeing said, you know, you don't seem like you're getting any better. And I was meditating for hours a day at this point because I was like desperate and even that wasn't helping. She's like, maybe you should go see my doctor. I see a naturopathic doctor and I know she can help you. I'm like, okay, sure, I'll go see her. So I I made an appointment. She had like a three-month waiting list, but I called every day until I got in on a cancellation and I got in pretty quickly. And I met with the doctor and she's like, oh, I think what's going on with you is you're in menopause and your hormones are out of balance. I'm like, what? I'm like, I'm having severe, severe symptoms. Menopause is a normal thing that women go through. I can't imagine that's causing these symptoms. She goes, oh, she goes, it really can. And I was like, okay. And so she said, let's put you on some hormones and see what happens. And within five days of being on the hormones, I was sleeping normally. My anxiety was gone. And I was so relieved and so happy. I was like, oh, sleep. And um, despite that, I still had the physical issues. I continue to have the interstitial cystitis and some other pain issues. But I felt confident that now that I was sleeping, that these would um, heal. So that was great. But I knew I had some deeper healing to do because that entire 10 months that I went through this ordeal, I was terrified. I thought, oh my God, my body is not sleeping. You need sleep for your body to repair itself. I am going to end up with some serious disease. I'm going to die. And the entire 10 months, I was just terrified of getting some serious disease and dying. And I I knew that that fear, although now it probably was damped down a little bit, it was not gone. And I was in my 50s. So yeah, I was probably going to get you know other diseases. And, and eventually I was going to die. And I knew that I had to heal this fear, that it was really important. I had to do some spiritual healing. So my husband suggested that I read Miriam Williamson's book, A Return to Love, because he had read it when he was going through a difficult time in his life. And he said, I think this will really help you. And he's not a, he wasn't a course student at that time, but he just loved the book. So I read it. I think I actually read it twice. And I loved it. It, it didn't take away my fear, but it gave me a glimmer of hope that maybe, just maybe, I could get rid of this fear and come to peace. And it made me interested in the course, um, but I didn't know anything about the Course of Miracles. So I started reading about it. And of course, I learned about Helen Shuckman and Bill Thetford and the scribing process. And I immediately dismissed the book because I'm like, I don't believe that scribing happens. That's not true. That's I just totally dismissed it because my mind was like, I'm not the kind of person who believes things like that. So I just was trying to move on with my life, but I couldn't shake my attraction to the Course in Miracles, even though I felt like, oh, it was not true. So I continued reading about it. And the more I read about Bill and Helen, the more I thought, gosh, they seem really authentic. I mean, <laughs> they're research psychologists and they are embarrassed by this material. They don't even want to, they didn't want to publish this book. They didn't want their names on it. I don't think that they did it for money. I mean, I think they did make some money from it, but it was obviously not done for money. I just felt like what other reason would they have put so much effort into something you know, that they really were not even wanting to publish it unless this was true, unless it was really a scribed book. And so my mind became a little bit open to maybe that is something that could be true. And so I still wasn't ready to get the book yet because I had some other issues with it. And one was that I thought that it was a really difficult 
book to read and understand. And I just didn't want to do something like that. I'm like, I don't want to put so much effort into this. So I thought, well, maybe there is, you know, a Cliff Notes version. So I read A Course in Miracles Made Easy by Alan Cohen. And that intrigued me even more. And I thought, okay, I'm reading about The Course in Miracles. I'm reading books about The Course in Miracles. Maybe I should just get the book. <laughs> so I did. And as soon as I started reading it, I was so enamored with it. I just felt like, oh my gosh, I'm home. This is, I want so much to believe what this is saying. That lasted for about three weeks. And <laughs> then I was like, oh, this is complex and difficult. And I don't know what it's saying. And it sounds crazy. And I went kind of back and forth between those two things, those, you know, being enamored and this is crazy for a while. And finally, I just decided, okay, I'm just going to read through the whole book. I'm going to set a goal to do that. And then I'll decide. So I did. I read the book cover to cover, except for the lessons. And I honestly can tell you, I don't didn't understand most of what I read, but I did understand a couple of things. Number one, the course is telling me that I am not a body. I am God's beloved son. I am spirit. I am holy. I cannot be hurt. I cannot die. And I am love. And let me tell you, that is so what my soul wanted to believe. So much of my fear came from being a body, a body that can get hurt, that can die, that can get old, that can lose its mental capacities, that can lose its hearing, which is my current fear issue that's going on. And I thought if I could really believe that I am not a body, I would just feel so much peace. And the other thing that I knew the Course was telling me was that this world, this physical world that I believe that I'm living in, is not real. It's a dream. This world with war and disease and famine and all of the suffering, all of that is not real. What's real is love and oneness. And I was like, oh. If I could believe that too, then that's it. I would have no fear. I would be in peace. And I just so wanted to believe these things. And so I decided I'm not there yet, but I want to get there. And I believe that being a course student, it that's what will help me to get there. And so so I decided that's it. I'm a course student and I'm still a very new course student. I'm going through my second reading of the course now, and I'm also going through the lessons and I am currently on lesson 203 and I'm still not fully believing <laughs> that those things are true yet, but I'm making, you know, some progress and I'm trusting that I will get there. And so that's how I came about to be a course student. Oh, that's wonderful. I, I want to say a couple of things there. One is uh, something that I told my partner when we both started doing lessons together, which is you don't have to believe it for it to work. So it kind of proof is in the pudding. If it's not working, then it's not your truth. Um, yeah. And if you're finding that you're experiencing peace and shifts of perception that you know are miracles, then then there's something that is right about it for you. So it, the certainly the attraction towards it is um is bringing you some peace in itself even though it's it's conflicted back and forth, you know, is this right for me or not. Um but the other thing I just wanted to say is Helen Norbill made any money from the course. Uh what did happen? They never they didn't want anything from it. What did happen is that when my mother uh created the foundation for inner peace uh, after it was published and some money was generated, she made sure to take care of them and their mm. later years. And that was, and at one point um, she was taking care of Helen and she even took care of um, Helen's husband, Louie. But at, when Helen was uh, dying, she was very 
very fearful of so much stuff. And some of it was was money. And my mother gave her some of her own personal funds to mm. um, to make Helen feel better. And Helen looked at my mother and said, don't you understand, dear? No money in the world is enough to bring me peace. Mm. And so, I mean, Helen, obviously, as you've read, had many different issues. But uh, so I guess in that way, through my mom, they did get taken care of by the course, but that was never an intent. They didn't even want to be connected to the course. So um, I just wanted to to say that because I don't know that I, I certainly haven't said that. Tam, thank you for sharing that because I did not know that. And that actually, in my brain, my logical brain that helps me, it makes the the idea even stronger that, you know, they must, it must have been guided. Why else would they have done this? That for me, because I am the kind of person who kind of feels connected to needing some logical um, help with some of these things. And uh, so that actually makes it even stronger in my mind. So thank you for sharing that. Sure. I mean, as a psychologist, I can give you, and I'm not a psychologist, but I grew up with many. Um, I can give you a psychological perspective of my own for um, for Helen's motive for continuing to scribe the course. Mm. Um because, yes, please. You know, well, as as I think you know, if you've read about it, you know she called Bill and not, didn't wake her husband when she heard this is a course of miracles. Please take notes, and she thought she was going crazy. And you know, Bill said, "Well, take notes and give them to me in the morning." And she did, and he found it interesting enough um, and intriguing that he said, "Keep taking them." So this became this this process over many years where Helen, who was in love with Bill, who had an untenable relationship with him because he was gay, had a special private secret with him for mm. all those years. So it was like it was like Holy Spirit gave her what she desired in specialness in order for to continue to do this work and have that. And for him, it was intriguing enough because here they were fighting so much and here was a method for them to have something peaceful together that they were doing together that was intriguing to both of them. Um, you know, even though Helen was always concerned, she was going crazy. So, mm. so that in itself was, was, I see the deeper guidance under that, that spirit really uses who we are to bring forth what needs to be brought forth. And that's what guided is to me. Mm. Wow. I have never heard anything like that before. Thank you so much for sharing it. That's it, my husband was just telling me before I got him. He's now a course student. He was like, it's so cool that you're going to be talking to Tam Morgan and she's connected to, and I'm like, but Tam would tell you that she is not special and, and she is just a person. And he's like, I know that, but still. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of stuff around that, that I, you know, that is very funny because the course really does use me not wanting, not wanting to be an actress, not wanting to be center stage. And you know, my my guess is in that that you know I don't I don't have that ego of the specialness that people put on me for a course in miracles. I might have it for wanting to have been a writer and if I publish something that I love, I you know my ego would be oh yay I did that. But for this, it's just service. Yeah, it's beautiful. <clears throat> so well. Celeste, this is a good segue into uh, your forgiveness story. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I actually have two stories if we have time for them. I think they're pretty short. So I'll start with one and then we'll just see how it goes. Okay. So the first one has to do with my mother. So I've had a longstanding grievance against my mother because I feel like she favors my sister over me. And uh, it's caused a lot of pain <laughs> in my. My ego brain, I'm like, 
well, moms are supposed to love all of their kids equally. And this is her fault. She should be loving me equally with my sister. And, you know, and, and at least if she really feels this way, she, she should hide it, you know, so I don't know, or better yet, if she needs to favor somebody, it should be me. Come on. (laughs) You know? So anyway, that's been going on for a long time. And when I very first started studying the course, my parents who live in the San Francisco Bay Area decided to come out and visit me in Southern California. My sister also lives in Southern California, but she's more South. She's in San Diego. So we decided to all meet at my house and and have a family time for a few days. But my parents arrived, excuse me, need some water. My So my parents arrived on a Thursday and my sister couldn't get here until Friday after work. So my husband and I had some time alone with my parents before my sister arrived. And almost immediately after my mom walked in the door, she said, I can't wait till Michelle gets here. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to see Michelle. And I felt like she stuck a dagger in my heart and twisted. I was like, I'm here now, mom. Aren't you happy to see me? I mean, I think I cleaned the house. I got all your favorite foods. I did all this stuff to make this wonderful dinner tonight. And you're just excited to see my sister. And it just hurt. And my mom continued making, you know, comments like how excited she was to see my sister on Thursday. And I was starting to act out like I typically do and just kind of distance myself from her, be passive aggressive, make subtle snide comments. I never go out and say, mom, you know, do you favor Michelle more than me or anything like that? But I would just subtly let her know. But being a new course student, I recognized that I could see this differently and that I, you know, had always blamed my mom. She's wrong. She's supposed to love me equally. Well, that I needed to let go. It was, this was on me. And I was so new as a course student. I didn't know how to see this differently. I didn't even know about asking for guidance, believe it or not. I was like, well, how do I do this? So I did what I already knew. And that is, I decided to meditate to let this go. And so I told my husband and my parents, you know, I've been had a tough week and I just need to take a nap before dinner tonight. And so I went into my bedroom and I meditated and I told told myself, okay, you know, I'm going to meditate until I can see my mom as my brother who's leaning forward to bless me. And I meditated for 15 minutes and the grievance was still there strong. So I was like, okay, I got to do this a little bit longer. I meditated another 15 minutes and it was starting to soften, but I really wanted to really let it go. And so I meditated for another 15 minutes. And at this point, I felt like I had let it go. I was like, okay, I know the reality is that my mom is my brother and she loves me equally with everyone and we are one. And I am just going to, um, that's going to be my truth, my reality for this whole time that they're here. And so I went out and I was no longer being passive aggressive. We had a nice dinner that night and my mom did continue making comments, but they really didn't bother me. And when my sister came out, we had one of the best visits I've had with my parents and my sister ever. We all just got along and we had fun. It was just, we were laughing so much. And I really think that if I had not let that go, I would have not enjoyed myself because I would have just been, you know, stewing in my um, grievance. And I would have made everybody else have a less enjoyable time too, because, you know, I was acting out, even if I was acting out subtly, I mean, people pick up on your energy and they know. And so I really think it was, it freed us up to have a really good visit. And I feel like my relationship with my mom since then has gotten better. My mom still does things where I feel like she's favoring my sister, but and I, I do get an initial, you know, pang in my heart. It's not that I don't get that, but I'm usually able to quickly let it go now. I remember, okay, no, 
I've, I've dealt with that already and I'm just going to let this go. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a really powerful thing. And I really believe that I would have never even attempted to let that go because I really was blaming my mom. So the course just helped me to recognize that this was not about my mom. This was about me and my perception. So, yeah, so that's it. Nice. That's great. And uh, did, did your mom have any thoughts about you like Celeste? You seem a little different. No, I <laughs> I can't say that she did. You know, I like I said, I do feel like our relationship has improved, but probably because I'm not being passive aggressive towards her. So <laughs> it's it's a it's lightened a little bit. It's it is does feel a little bit closer, but I don't think she's recognized why, or she's not said anything. I I don't think she even knows that I feel like she favors my sister over me. I don't think she recognizes like her excitement about, I I don't think she realizes. So I don't know. Um, One of the things, a few things struck me about this one um, that is always important to share with everyone is that when you were thinking first year new course student, you don't quite know at that point how to let something go. And, you know, some people at that point would do a lesson over and over again, and you went in to meditate and it doesn't really matter because the course says all you need is a little willingness. And it's just the little willingness where angels rush in to help. Um, yeah, I, I love that concept. You don't have to be, you know, full blown. I must let this go. It's like, I think I want to please help. Yeah, right, and right. you can always ask for help in any situation because that's the little willingness is, is asking for help and being open for, to, to change, to change your mind from fear to love. So, um, so that was a great move to just try and do anything um, to see how it will let go. Even if you're not a course student, it still works. And um, and as far as, uh, you know, this kind of weaves in with something my mother said over and over again, that people think if they just do the lessons, they've done the course. Or if they've just read the text, they've done the course. Uh, it is the the lessons are the companion to the text and vice versa. And the text literally goes into depth about what the lessons mean. So the lessons are like the cheat notes, you know, on it. And um, and so it's the partnering of the two uh, and reading them both together like that, that it that helps tremendously. Um, mm. So just wanted to add that in there. The other thing is... Um, the more, the more, and the more I do the course, the more I realize do not take anything personally, that everyone has their own conditioning and preconditioning in the ego world. And when I hear this story about your mother and I'm a sibling and I've been through stuff with, with my brother and my mother externally looked like she favored me as well in different ways. So I was on the flip side of it. Um, that was very difficult. And I got majorly punished by my brother for that. Um, there's, you know, I really do believe that in this world of form and in this dream that we're, that we are seeming to live in, we have contracts with each other. And it's like this was a pre-written contract with your mother because one of the things you needed to work on for your own liberation is this feeling that it depends on her what your self-worth is. And so she focuses on her sister, on your sister, to bring that up in you so that you can heal that. Because it's not true. Love is love is love is love. But but the stories, we get trapped in the stories. And if you could shift someone, someone recently brought up, he was at behaving towards me very much like my father and brother who were extremely, I perceived as extremely judgmental when I was growing up. And anytime I'd have a great idea that I thought was great, they'd shoot it down. And then I wouldn't do it. And it kept me from really doing things that I thought were good. And so I was, I was 
creating something and a friend of mine who was helping just kept being so judgmental about it. And at first I started to get hurt and then I realized, wait a second, this is so familiar. I'm going to stick with what I'm doing no matter what this man, the, his judgments about it say. And besides, he's actually helping me in a construction way. It was building something. And the more I got into it, the more I realized, oh my God, he is the greatest friend I've contracted with him to bring all these feelings up. And I shifted in my feeling about him from the, oh, you're doing this and saying this to thank you. Thank you for being the person so I can overcome this finally and still love you. And it's it's a forgiveness story unto itself. I'm not going to take away your stories here, but the shift was tremendous in absolutely loving him and being grateful that he brought this up so that I never had to be that way again. And so that's your contract with your mom and your sister, who I'm sure carries some guilt around this as well, no matter how she displays it. Um, and and your working on this is breaking everyone free. Mm. Wow, Tam, you may not be a psychotherapist, but gosh, you would be a good one. <laughs> Well, I grew oh. up with it. And, you know, the course came from these two uh, deeply involved uh, therapists. So, you know, I, I understand the language intuitively. Um, but but truly, this is part of your work, and it's beautiful that you're doing it. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. Ms. Lust, do you want to tell us your second forgiveness story? Yay. Yeah, yeah, I I will. So my second story has to do with my husband. So <clears throat> my husband and I, we took our dog Mambo, we were talking about Mambo earlier, he's our cute little dog, for a long hike. Um, this happened just a couple months ago. And we got back from this hike, and we were tired. And we, my husband, and I went to the trunk to get some stuff out of the trunk so we could go inside. And I pulled out a stack of papers and the edge of the staple, one edge was, was pointing straight out and I pierced my finger with it. And I screamed, I'm like, ow. And my husband's right next to me. And he didn't say anything. He didn't say, are you okay? What happened? What's, you know, what's going on? Nothing. And I was immediately like, what? I'm hurt. And my husband's not going to even ask me how I'm doing. How insensitive of him. I can't believe that. So I <laughs> laid it to him. I was like, didn't you hear me just scream in pain? Aren't you going to even ask how I'm doing? And he just looked at me and he's like, can't you give me a mulligan? And I'm going to stop the story right here because that's not a very common word. So let me explain what that means before I go on. So a mulligan is a term that comes from golf. And when you hit a golf ball and it goes way off base, like into the bushes or into a lake or something, you have an opportunity to call a mulligan. And what that means is that that shot doesn't count. It doesn't go on your record. It's as if it never happened. So I knew that my husband was telling me, can't you just let this go and act as if it never happened? Can't you just give me a break? And that made me even more angry because I was like, what? I'm hurt and suffering and you want me to let it go when you're not even there for me when I'm hurt and suffering? No. What if I was like, had my leg broken and I was really suffering in pain? I, you know, my husband is supposed to be there for me when I'm suffering and I, I can't stand this. No way. I am not going to let you off the hook for that. And so we had more words. We were not happy with each other. And we went inside and my husband went into his office, closed the door, and I went into the kitchen and I started doing some dishes. And one of the things I like to do when I'm cleaning is to listen to your podcast, Miracle Voices. And so the episode that I put on was not your traditional type of episodes. I think it was a recording of a webinar put out by the Foundation for Inner Peace. It was called The Role of Forgiveness in the World. And one of the, um, there were three people 
on this. And one of them was Harry Grammer, and he described himself as a professional course student. And he started sharing his um, this analogy for the Holy Spirit's um, forgiveness. And he used the word mulligan to describe the Holy Spirit's uh, way of forgiveness. And let me just say right here, I had completely forgotten at this point that my husband used the word mulligan. I knew he had asked me to let him off the hook, but it just went, I didn't even remember he used that word. So when Harry is describing the um, Holy Spirit's, you know, using the mulligan and the Holy Spirit's idea of that, I didn't remember that my husband had used that word with me. So he said, you know, when we do something wrong in this world and we're feeling guilty or feeling bad, the Holy Spirit gives us a mulligan for that. So whatever we did that's wrong, according to the Holy Spirit, it never happened. It doesn't go on our record. We didn't actually do it. And what's cool about the Holy Spirit is that he gives us a mulligan for everything that we do wrong in this world or that we think that we do wrong in this world. He always gives us a mulligan. None of our, quote, bad behaviors ever happened. None of them go on our record. And of course, it's not just us, but everyone. Nothing that we think we do that's a sin or bad in this world ever gets counted. And I was listening to this and I was like, wow, that is such a cool analogy for the Holy Spirit's, you know, forgiveness. And oh, I love having a word that I can connect to that. So I can remember like when I have a grievance toward myself or somebody else, I can think, oh, mulligan, I need a mulligan or they need a mulligan. And it was about at this time that I remembered that I had a grievance against my husband right then. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, I, I guess maybe I needed to hear this. Maybe I, you know, and, and I knew that what my husband had done in reality wasn't a big deal. I mean, he knew I wasn't really hurt. I knew that he knew I wasn't really hurt. And we had just gotten back from a long hike. We were tired. And so I knew it wasn't a big deal. I was, you know, and even if it was a big deal, I mean, the Holy Spirit would give him a mulligan for it. And that's what we're trying to learn in the Course of Miracles as Course students, how to forgive as the Holy Spirit forgives. So whether it was a big deal or not a big deal, it doesn't matter. You know, as a course student, I need to learn to look at whatever he does and whatever anybody does as, you know, the Holy Spirit does. So I said, okay, I am going to let this go. And so I went over to my husband and I knocked on his door. I'm like, hey, I just want to let you know, I'm so sorry for being pissy earlier. And, you know, I apologize. And he's like, oh, that's okay. And, and we let it go. And I wanted to tell him about, the mulligan analogy, but he seemed like he was busy doing some other things. So I said, oh, I'll tell him later. But then I forgot all about it. But then when we were watching TV that night, I suddenly remembered, oh yeah, I wanted to tell him about the Holy Spirit and the mulligan. So during a commercial break, I turned to him and I said, do you know what a mulligan is? And he looked at me with this really quizzical look and he said, yes. And started laughing. I'm like, what is so funny? He's like, well, I used that word with you earlier today when you were upset with me. And I was like, no, you didn't. He said, yes, I did. He goes, that is not a word that I typically use. He's like, I don't even ever remember using that word. He goes, I even thought it was strange that I used that word with you when I used it. He goes, I remember using that word with you. And he goes... Don't you remember? And then I thought about it. I'm like, oh, maybe he did use mulligan. How could I forget that? And then I told him about, you know, the podcast and the Holy Spirit and the mulligan. And we looked at each other. We're like, that is so coincidental. That is just like, it just seems too coincidental to be by chance. And I said, do you think that was a message from the Holy Spirit? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, maybe it was. And I really believe that this was a message from the Holy Spirit to us. And that is really important to me because I 
am not good at hearing the Holy Spirit. I when I ask, either I hear nothing or I hear something and I have no idea if it's coming from the Holy Spirit or my own mind. And a lot of times I even think, I don't even know if the Holy Spirit's really there. I don't know if I'm talking to nobody and maybe that's not true. But in this instance, I felt like I really heard something from beyond me. And that was so important to me. And it made me think, okay, well, maybe now I'll start hearing the Holy Spirit more when I'm asking. That hasn't actually happened yet, (laughs) but at least I have that one instance where I, I have something where I'm like, okay, you know, yes, there is something greater than me that's got got my back and my husband's back and all. And, and so that was really, really important to me to get that message in a couple of ways, you know, number one for the forgiveness and to have the word to hold on to, but number two, because I felt like it was a communication that I actually heard. So that's my story. Wow. That's great. And, uh, Paul, if you're listening, thanks for being part of that story too. That's your husband's name, right? Paul. Yes. Paul. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy that that all came together like that. It certainly doesn't seem like an accident to me. We had a guest on here, Sophia, like a year or two ago, and she talked about getting the cosmic frying pans over the head every once in a while, where it's like not subtle. It's like, ding, you're hitting over the head. But that was, that is a great, great analogy. I, I listened to that webinar. That was really good. Tam, you were on there with, too. was it Gary Grammer or Harry Grammer? I can't remember his name. Yes. That was a yeah. perfect, uh, Perfect uh, metaphor. Golf's really full of them too. There's also um, a gimme. I don't know if you ever heard of that term, but when you when you putt and it gets the ball gets close enough to the hole, instead of just taking that final step, your everybody in your group says, "Oh, that's a gimme. You're close enough. We just we trust that you would have hit it in. So just pick it up and you're done." And that kind of reminds me of the you know God takes the final step when you get close enough. It's just a gimme. Ah, I like that. I, I yeah. did not know that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. yeah. It's, but, you know, it's also a wonderful gift as a code word, you know, so, you know, you and your husband can certainly use that as a code word. My son, when he was four and I just, we knocked heads. He really was a strong being. And so am I. And um, when we get into situations where where it was just obvious that one of us really needed to apologize but could not. Um, we decided to think of a code word to get us out of it. And my son decided the word would be grocery cart, two words. And <laughs> and I said, grocery cart? He said, yeah, grocery cart. And I said, why grocery cart? He said, well, because you put things in the grocery cart and you take them out. And, you know, it was time to get rid of the anger, you know, just, okay, remove it. Don't talk about the situation. And so we'd be in the worst struggles and one of us would say grocery cart and we'd just have to drop it. And it was an agreement. And we, we really did it so well that it, it seemed, and I was concerned as a mother, well, then there's no accountability. He's not saying, yes, I behaved poorly. And I, how do I teach him that? But what happened would be when we'd grocery cart, whether it was a few hours later or that evening, latest the next day, he would come back around and say, you know, mommy, I'm really sorry. I was feeling blah, 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 this. And that's why I did that. Or, and vice versa. And, you know, <laughs> code words are fantastic. And the course gives us many of them. Um, but Mulligan is just as good as any. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that story. The grocery cart tab. That's so cute. We I still use it. <laughs> we still use it today. And sometimes, you know, as he starts to get into teenagers, no, I'm not going to no <laughs> grocery cart. <laughs> <laughs> but but it really wonderful. has been a beautiful thing for us. <laughs> yeah. And then I just want to say that, yeah, like you, Tam, that having that word has been really powerful for my husband and I. It's It's just something that we now remember for each other to, you know, really let go. But also I use it for myself um, because, you know, things that I do that I just feel like, oh, feel bad or guilty. I remember, no, the Holy Spirit's going to give me a mulligan for that. And I can let that go. And that has been really powerful for me. I, for just a few days ago, for example, I had this 
evil thought. I don't even want to share it. It was an evil thought. And I was like, only evil people have thoughts like that. Oh my God, I'm such an evil. I was feeling so bad about myself. But then Mulligan just popped into my mind. I'm like, no, the Holy Spirit gives me a mulligan for that. This thought never happened. And I let it go. And I know before I was a core student and before this story, I would have really beat up on myself and just felt really bad had I not, you know, you know, had that and been a core student. So it's really been helpful. Yeah. And it talks about in A Course in Miracles, it's like, you're not supposed to be free of impure thoughts. It's just, there's not supposed to be any that you keep. Just let them go. Mm-hmm. And that always gives me pause. And I say, oh, thank God. Like, okay, there's just, I just can't keep this. It's come, this, this ugly trains come into the station and I just wave it on here. It's like, it's not me. This is an ego thought. Yeah. Which is exactly, it's, it's kind of more than letting go. It's not identifying with them. Mm, yes. That's not the real me. I am love. <clears throat> That thought is my ego. It's coming in. It's going to give me every form of entertainment that I would see in a movie. You know, a killer, a savior, all, everything in between. Um, but it's not, it's not us. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. our, you know, it's our movies that are running. Yeah. There's a uh, David Hawkins, who was an author that passed away, used to talk about how his ego, when he would get cut off in traffic and get really angry, he's like, my ego would just tell me I need to kill that person. And it always just made me laugh out loud. Like, yes, ego, thank you for your participation and your thoughts. (laughs) Wow. Kill this other driver. Like it's, it's went to that immediately. It went to death. That other driver must die. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. That's. (laughs) Well, again. Well, again. Yeah. 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 Well, Celeste, what wonderful, wonderful stories, uh, forgiveness stories you have. Um, we have a couple other questions we'd like to ask. When you get caught in an ego storm, now you probably say mulligan. Is there anything else you do? <laughs> Is there anything else you do to help you get back on track? Oh boy. Yeah, you know, I'm still like I said, a still new course student, so I don't know if I have any wonderful gems, but I, one of the things that I do think is important for me and probably for everybody is just recognizing that I'm in an ego storm. You know, the course talks about the importance of watching our mind. And I think that is something that I've been doing a lot more since I became a course student, just really noticing what I'm saying to myself and what is going on in that brain of mine. And that is how, because even if I just recognize that I'm in an ego storm, that is really powerful because then I realize, okay, I have a choice. It's, you know, it's sometimes that is the biggest thing for me. But then when I do recognize, one of the things I like to do is say, um, the love of God is within me. For some reason, that really gives me peace. The love of God is within me. And another thing I I do is I might read the lesson that I'm going through. I love to, if if I'm really stuck in an ego storm, to listen to Carol Howe's reading of the lesson. So she has all the lessons and some commentary um, on a podcast and I think on her website. And so I listen to that too. It's really good. So somehow getting it outside of my head, listening to someone else say it to me, that kind of helps. It it brings it into a different, helps me see things a little differently. And sometimes I might just read the lesson and go for a walk and then, you know, just kind of remind myself um, about the lesson as I'm out for a walk. And then meditating is still a huge one for me. I still definitely do that. So so that's pretty much what I do at this point. So, right. well, Celeste, tell us what your favorite comfort food is. Please, oh. please. Oh my gosh. So, I am not very creative in this. I think you've had a lot of people share this. It's got to be just creamy, ice creamy, you know, like desserts. I just, I love ice cream and gelato. Um, and, uh, I, you know, if I'm really upset, my, my husband, who I have to say, he's really a sweet, wonderful guy. And I, I, 
really should put that out there. And if I, I'm upset, I'll say, can you go get us some ice cream? And he'll go to the store and get us a pint because if he gets more than a pint, I'll eat the whole thing. And uh, we're vegan. So we will, we like to try variety. So he'll pick a different, you know, we get something different every time, but I do have a clincher that makes it the best. So when he's out getting the ice cream, what I do is I toast walnuts. And for some reason, toasted walnuts on top of whatever ice cream he gets, it just makes it, it brings it to the next level. And that is like heaven for me. That sounds great. I've never tried toasted uh, walnuts on top. Yeah. Really? I'm so bad. I try caramelized toasted walnuts. Oh, wow. That sounds (laughs) even better. Yeah. I caramelize them and they're really, really good. Oh, so mm-hmm. what's your favorite brand of vegan ice cream? Because some of these are like, I've tried them. I'm like, damn, that's just as good as regular ice cream. Yeah, no, I think it, it often is. I tend to like the ones made from uh, coconut milk. Yes, um, yes. Yeah, I um, do too. Also, sometimes, you know, especially in the vegan ice cream, sometimes they can get kind of too many chemicals and stuff. And I don't know, I like things more natural. So there is a local company here, or local um gelato shop that makes fresh gelato. It's in San Clemente. And I honestly can't remember the name of the place, but it has dog in the name because they also make treats for dogs and they make fresh made gelato and they have vegan flavors. And oh my gosh, that is the best because there's no chemicals. It's just, mm, it's like the best. Mm. So Sounds great. Well, as much as I really do love and have had coconut based um ice cream i'm sorry but it's still against my religion (laughs) like i just have to go for the cream the heavy cream i get it i get i I leave my religion every so often but you know (laughs) just to enjoy it but it just doesn't hit the same spot yeah i i get it i get it and i have to admit that my husband and i aren't perfect and if somebody serves us non-vegan ice cream we're gonna eat it (laughs) (laughs) okay i love you (laughs) you gotta be a good guest i mean yeah totally yeah yeah you get your mulligan yeah well Mm -hmm. celeste thanks so much for coming on miracle voices and sharing your miracle voice the love of god is in you and also in paul Paul, thank you if you're listening for running out and, and ice creams un- and Mambo and un- Mambo, their dog, which is a cockapoo, if anybody was wondering. <laughs> is there any way you want people to get a hold of you in any way, Celeste, or just let it go? Uh, well, I do have a website, CelesteDemilla.com, if people want to check that out. But, uh, you know, if they want to get a hold of me, you can um, email me through there. So, do you want to spell that for people real quick? Sure. It's C E L E S. T-E-D-I-M-I-L-L-A dot com. Great. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you guys so much. This has been a pleasure. You guys are lovely and easy to talk to. Thanks so much for listening today. Please subscribe to Miracle Voices by hitting the subscribe button on your podcast app. If you are enjoying these conversations, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever podcast app you use. And lastly, please visit us at miraclevoices.org and join our newsletter so we can stay connected. Until the next podcast, I want to leave you with my favorite course quote, when you want only love, you will see nothing else. Nothing else.